Welcome to Second Win, the podcast where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am. And that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Welcome Second Wind. Today I have a very special interview for you with Dr. Akil Tabor. And a great way to introduce him, you're going to love this story, by the way, but imagine a very senior, dedicated family doctor late in his career, unexpectedly suffering a serious heart disease that requires heart surgery. Now imagine he faces it as a longtime medical professional in a manner that is self-reflective, courageous, and inspirational. And in doing so, he reverses his illness by traveling a pathway paved by nature herself. And that sounds so picturesque, but it really wasn't like that at all. There was a long journey and some really dark moments. And and now we're on the other side, the second wind side of it all. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Akil. Thank you. Thank you so much, Wendy. I am so delighted to be here on your second wind podcast and let's begin let's begin but thank you so much i'm super honored and i'm just so glad the book that dr akil has written is called open heart you can get it on amazon it's a great read i read it in like less than a day and i don't even read people i do audible and he is doing it on audible by the way however this book is going straight to my husband's hands because I am thinking this is going to help propel him in the correct direction. Because if Dr. Akil can do it at 61 years old, anybody can. So, Dr. Akil, let's start with your second win moment. Because you have, you have many, but the one that really changed your life, changed how you were thinking, changed the trajectory of your heart disease was when you were in the hospital and what you said to the nurses when you were getting rolled back. You see, what happened was, Wendy, my stents had failed. So obviously, I was back again in the hospital, this time for an open-heart surgery. Now, as what I remember telling the nurses was, Mark my words, if all goes well, I will do a half marathon in a year's time. (laughs) Really, I did not know why I said that at that moment. But looking back now, I feel that it was my subconsciously, I was trying to say that, you know, whatever it was, I had only two options left. One was to continue this horrific, you know, painfully slow end of life journey, filled with mediocrity, anger, despair, or to take charge of my life and to completely change my life and live a better life, incorporating exercise, diet, Meditation, yoga. 
it breathing exercises. It's like you decided right there, right then. You made a you made an agreement or something. Yes. If I get through this, if I get through this, because I had no other third option, so I had to do it now, and so that made me immediately feel comfortable with myself. I got this. So remarkably, my recovery was tremendous. It was remarkable. I did not even take one single pain medication after that. And on third day after my surgery, I was on the treadmill. In fact, if you think... Oh, my God. I was happier in this physical pain that I was having than the mental agony of the last five years after my stents. So to me, this was now a change. And I had the whole world in front of me. I could change and become a better father, become a better friend, become a better physician, become a better husband. And that was at the age of 61. So when you talk about your group, about people in their 50s wanting to change life, sure, go ahead. Because if you don't, you're going to miss the bus. And then comes the very important statement that why is it that our lifespan has increased over time, but our health span has decreased alongside it, so much so that the last 20 years are absolutely miserable. I want people to have the last days in happiness so that they enjoy the last moments as opposed to being bedridden or on a wheelchair. I don't want that. And number two, I want people to learn from my mistakes. More importantly than my transformation is I want younger people in the 50s and the 40s to learn and benefit from my mistakes. And therefore, I've been so open about my shortcomings so that when people read this book, they can also be very open of their life problems and be so open about it. And so they can conquer their own challenges. Yes, I appreciate that. And I think even 20s and 30s, you're never too young or too old because I want this book to go to my sons as well. I digress. However, let's let's go back. So, I mean, you were a doctor. You... You had a family, you did well, you decided to move to the U.S. And, and, but you, it was like a whole thing. You were not the person you are now then. Can you share a little history of, of your journey? Yes, Wendy. You see, because I came to the United States pretty late. I came in my 40s and had a lot of catching up to do. So what I did was I worked long, long hours, paying little attention to my health, to my family, and to my friends. And most of my adult life, I enjoyed eating rich, unhealthy food without worrying about unhealthy consequences like heart disease. Because like many, I yeah. thought it would not happen to me. But the trouble was that <laughs> I was I was sort of called a seafood eater. 
S E E. I ate everything inside. <laughs> no matter what came in front of me, whether it was Mexican food, Chinese food, Indian food, the sad American diet, everything I took it at my stride. And so when I was not working long hours or indulging into foods that were put in front of me or whatever I wanted, I was a complete couch potato. So I did no exercise. And again, I tell people they don't believe this, but the, I, my, my biggest friend at that time was my couch. And I. You even said in the book that you said it, you, you said in the book that if, if you even thought about exercising, that you could, anybody that thought about exercising, the cure for that is to go sit down and it will, right. it will dissipate. Yes, and I did. I did some exercise, like to my eye muscles looking the joggers running right the bag, or to my head muscles changing the remote of the TV. So those are the only muscles I exercise. And on top of this, you know, Wendy, I had a type A personality. So people can have a type A personality, but I needed everything under control. It was either my way or the high. So I was, I mean, people, people sort of, uh, you know, you earn respect. You don't, you don't get it by becoming, uh, you know, taking everything uh, seriously and shouting and all that. Which people were scared of me. As opposed to really respecting me for what I was. And then I did not know how to handle the stress. See, stress is there for everybody. It's the people who can handle stress. Otherwise, all of our CEOs and presidents and, and, and the one leaders would be in a lunatic asylum. They know how to handle stress. But I, yeah. did, not, I did not know how to handle stress. And I did not know that there were means like meditation, yoga, spirituality, going to the church or going to whichever place you want to. I did not have all those. So there was no surprise that heart disease came knocking at my door at a very young age of 56. And guess what? Yeah, I'm 56. Wow. Two of my arteries were... <laughs> My arteries were 98 to 99% blocked. And Wendy, when I say 98 to 99% blocked, the blockages were so thick. The blocks were so thick that they had to use a diamond tip trim to save the blocks. And in the process, I had a cardiac arrest. My heart stopped. And they had to shock me. To get my heart beating again. They postponed the surgery for the next day. But I was I was devastated when I saw those huge battle burns on my chest and the loss of hair the next morning. But you know Yeah, you told the nurse that to avoid the problem you because you were you were really shocked by that. Get it, shocked. But you said, Well, now I don't have to go to the beach. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had these I was just trying to laugh it off, you know, but I was hurting badly inside. You know. And the and the sorry part is that the the young doctor in his late forties 
who did my stance, he probably saved my life. But you know, heart disease is so common. People wake up, wake up. Heart disease is so common. That that 48-year-old doctor, two years after he saved my life, he was on his treadmill and died of a massive heart attack. Stop it. Oh, my gosh. So can you imagine that this is, um, it is a man-made disease. All these chronic diseases, heart disease, strokes, your cholesterol, your blood pressure, your diabetes, obesity, certain cancers. These are all things can be avoided. At least be a flexitarian. Mm -hmm. Cut back on meat, eggs, dairy, processed food, refined foods, sugar, salt. Let's cut back. When I talk at the end, I will probably, if I get a chance, I want to talk about the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. Oh, yes, we will. We will definitely go there. But you, you, you are not subscribing to that. You even said you were a all that. You even said you were self-proclaimed atheist. You just, you know, you worked, you came home, you ate and you went to bed and you kind of gave any kind of any kind of energy social energy to your patients during the day and you were it was all spent by the time you got home for your family and that's how you were living yeah that's that's how i was living and the problem was that that stance then that really got me i i did go to deal honors and other the renowned people but not with my heart i didn't want to really want to change so what i basically did that all I absolutely continued. You see, because people must understand that when I had my stance and that my cardiac arrest, the audience or the listeners must be thinking, now this fellow must be changing. No, I continued my old habits and with the same food and that so that eventually I laughed to my medical conditions. While inside my mind, there were tormenting thoughts running rats in my mind. So what happened? What happened was that I, here was a problem, that I was a doctor and I was supposed to treat patients, not become one. So the next right. year were devastating. I was, trust me, I mean, at that time, if you had seen me, I would sit for long hours in a chair, staring vacantly into nothing. And then I would have uncontrollable sobbing periods here. And then, then out of nowhere, for no rhyme or reason, I would start throwing things around, using anger as a cover-up for the deep despair I felt. Nights were so tough, I would wake up with horrendous dreams, soaking wet, and the chronic fatigue, fatigue that accompanied it. And then all these dark, thoughts and behaviors, what it did was it created more physical symptoms. So now... I, yeah, you got more sick. Right. Now I had more sinus infection, bronchitis, pneumonia visit me every year. And then I had this infamous, severe diverticulitis with perforations in my colon, holes in my colon. That is a dangerous thing. I was admitted twice yeah. for that. Now, I want your listeners to picture this. That I had my friend, the surgeon, 
was standing over me in the operating room and telling me, Akil, if I do not operate you, operate on you right now, you may not survive. Wow. And then, with that last prostate, what happens? You you are living, you're, you're, you're on a couch potato, you're, and you have an enlarged prostate, and you get acute retention of urine, and you get bleeding in the urine, and they take you to the hospital, and the doctors have to put huge large catheters to so, take those blood out. And this yeah. was like somebody piercing an iron rod in your genitals. Yeah. 24 hours. That sounds far All these things were there. So it was no surprise that my stents failed and I had to have open heart surgery. And that is a time when I said that I would do a heart marathon. So I decided wow. eight months after my open heart surgery, my wife and I went over to Nashville, Tennessee to do my heart marathon. Of course, there was a dichotomy of fear and excitement. Right. So, I mean, I could not sleep, Wendy. I could not sleep. And, and I had a weird dream. So, I slept at 2 a.m., but I had a weird dream that night. Imagine, I'm only eight months after my open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. I had a dream that I was representing U.S. in the Olympics. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I, I was wearing the gold medal and all that. And there were tears running down my eyes. And I don't know if this was for for the things to happen. But when I sang the Star Spangled, the, the anthem, our U.S. anthem, it was totally out of tune in the dream, you know. So it, Oh, in the dream. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was, but I was happy. So we went over the next day up to the starting line. In my small town, Gadsden, Alabama, did not have any hills for me to climb. So here I'm getting hills and I'm wondering what to do. But three and a half or four grueling hours. It took me four grueling hours to complete the half marathon for Wendy, my bruised heart, figuratively and physically, took me across the finish line. It's amazing. It's amazing because you even said back in those five years between between the two operations, I mean, you even thought about suicide. Yeah. Like you were in the depths of darkness and despair. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Thoughts of suicide were included in my five years of being so depressed. And so then I started, I said, Okay, so now I started, I finished the run, and then I went. One year after that, I went to Mount Kailash, which is 19,000 feet. This is where my spirituality came into being. Because as we reached at the 18,000 plus feet, it's a, it's a, you, you circumvent the mountain. The mountain is higher, but you can't go higher than 19,000 feet. So as I was circumventing and finally finished the 18,000 plus feet, everybody was high-fiving and congratulating and patting each other on the back. Well, I craved to be alone because I was wondering all these material comforts that I've had and trying to get more, 
Is it worth it? Because the feeling I had at that time was complete calmness. I was so happy in myself, contented, a feeling that so many times people have asked me, but I cannot explain that feeling, but, but a feeling that can be felt, but not explained. When I came down from Mount Kailash, my wife was the first person to notice that my IPA personality had mellowed down. Just like that? Just what? Things, you know, things in life can do for a person. Give it a chance. Yeah. And, and be open-minded. Mm-hmm. Don't don't worry about things that, no, don't be close-minded. And say, no, 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 this is not for me. And, and so me, to, to me was that, okay, now I'm exercising, I'm eating better and all that. And then I started reading books and doing about lifestyle medicine. I knew everything about medicine in terms of being a family physician and adequate knowledge to treat my patients. Now I started wondering, if I can benefit so much, why wouldn't my patients not benefit? Why would they have to undergo stents? Why would they have to undergo heart surgery? So I started reading. I I started reading Dr. Eisenstein, Dr. Michael Weber, Gregor, sorry. And all these gurus. And the more I read, the more I realized that there is something in this. So I started researching. How can one heal a body without solely depending on medicine or invasive surgery? Right. So that is when I decided that what is it that I'm doing wrong? Why am I still getting bouts of diverticulitis at times? And much better, but still getting. What? Yeah, you were still you were running marathons, which is a whole nother thing. You were running, you continued to run marathons, and you were climbing mountains, like mountain mountains. And you were now in this place where somebody would just offhandedly say, well, let's go climb a mountain. And you'd be like, sure. I mean, you had done this huge transformation. But even though you were doing these things, you still were struggling with like your calf and your calf muscle and the diverticulitis. Like it wasn't yes. just get on a treadmill, train and eat different and go run marathons. It wasn't like that at all for you. So how did you, how did you, how do you keep the mental? Well, I know the answer to this. <laughs> how do you keep the mental wherewithal to keep yourself propelling forward? Because you survived the surgery. And you were you were doing what you could do to get by. I mean, you were doing well, way better. What you said, point oh oh point five percent of the people in the in the country do a marathon. I was like, ooh, I'm one of those. That's cool. But you've you've done it. But yes. but this is not easy. And a lot of people would just say, yeah, my knee hurts or my calf hurts or my lower back hurts, and you had all this pain. And the inside internal pain. What you said it was willpower that kept you going? Two things over here, Wendy. Let your mind take your body to places you never thought were possible. This is one thing. Absolutely, your mind can take you to places that you never thought that it would be possible. Number one. 
And number two, I'll give you a classic example. When I did a 100-kilometer bike ride, I was still eating meat. And I don't mean to say that everybody has to suddenly switch off and not eat meat and not eat eggs. I'm just telling you my story. Mm-hmm. And I was still left eating a big piece of chicken or whatever, you know, after every long run or so after a 100-kilometer bike, I did that. And then I would be around in my bed for four or five days and recuperating, and then I would get back into life. When I did my 100-mile bike ride, I was a plant food, plant-based, food plant-based diet. So I was with my trainer, a lovely lady, Stacy. you know. So she and I did our 100 miles, and it was the first 100 miles that I've ever, ever imagined. It was Air Force winds. They had to change the route. Two of the girls fell in the start, and one of them sprayed the ankle. It was extremely cold. So the point I'm making is that after that 100-mile bike ride, as we were coming to a small town, imagine, it took us eight and a half hours to do the 100-mile bike ride, then six hours to come to Gadsden. On the way to Gadsden, my clinic calls me and says, look, we don't have a doctor tomorrow. So I said, sure, I'll come around. And then doing a 10-hour shift, like nothing has happened. And you attribute that to what? What? Why? Because you didn't eat I attribute, meat? I attribute it to the whole food plant-based diet as well as the mind. And because remember, sometimes, sometimes, you know, what happened was, this is Stacy. I would always be indebted to her because we had about 10 miles left of my 100-mile bike ride, which in my opinion was one of the most difficult thing I've ever done. Oh, yeah. I've been there. For instance, Oh, yeah. There was so much cold and that uncanny weather. So I said, look, Sissy, I'm not going to do it anymore. I give up. Mm-hmm. And then this was the most lovely little lie, the white lie that she told me. She says, who says it is 10 miles? It is just around the corner, a mile and a half, two miles. <laughs> I said, really? So I went along. So I did the two miles. Then she says, yeah. Another just one mile. And I kept on and I finished the hundred miles. Had she told me, Wow, you're going to get a medal. Oh, you're finished the hundred miles. Come on, let's go and do it. I would not have done it. Interesting. I did that on my three day bike ride because we were for our my charity back then and we would ride from Sonoy to Savannah. And, you know, people all ages, it, we my kids from like sixteen to seventy two were riding and we do about a hundred miles a day. And there were some hills and people did not expect there to be hills. We're going down to Savannah. How is this happening? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, this is the last hill, right? And then we'd hit another hill. I'd be like, oh, 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 wait. I was confused. This is the last hill. So I know exactly what she was doing because you can't have everybody fall out on you when you're not there. Yes, you can't. Yes, you see, that is the spirit that once you get it, that you want to continue doing it. it. It imagine from all these sicknesses and all that. I'm not saying that I do. Like I had a herniated disc about three months back and shooting pain in my right leg. But I decided not to take any pain medication, not to do that, but just go to the physical therapist and get it done. And I'm back to normal. So wow. we should not just jump onto medications. 
it what as you get older remember one important thing that sometimes things that you can't change accept it and live with it right but people and, and do other things right yes yeah. but people want a quick fix why oh, i've got this right. i need this I, no live with it and enjoy i still enjoy i know i i'd given up long distance running but then a group of doctors 20 doctors in san antonio called me in texas and they said that we want you to be an ambassador to run another uh, half a marathon i said i don't do any long distance run i said no 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 you got to do it for us so i think oh. again oh no <laughs> six months back i did the half marathon with them okay Okay. I was in Antonio. I reached I didn't have any racing. The next morning, I just got up at four o'clock and went over and did it. It took me a long time. It took me two hours and forty-five minutes or whatever. Much better than my usual four hours that I did my first But oh my gosh! I mean, where you were and and getting to where you are, you called it willpower, and I I want to hone in on that because you'll listen to different people out there that say willpower doesn't exist but you disagree absolutely disagree you see once you get it remember when you have a willpower and you're changing your life whatever you're changing should benefit if you're not benefiting from that then don't do it because people will not do it and i also say in terms of food whatever you want to give up Replace it with something. Let me give you a example. If people really want to change their immediate dietary habits, give up dairy. Why? Dairy is, dairy is liquid meat. Dairy is liquid meat. I have not heard that. It's full of cholesterol and saturated fat. A cup of 2% milk is equivalent to your four ounces, six ounces of steak. Really? Now, think about it. Why is it that we are the only people in the animal kingdom, humans, who, once we are weaned, all the other animals, once they're weaned, they're weak. They're weak. We, we don't only take the own human milk after that, but we go and take another species milk. Exactly. I'm not supposed to be doing that. Yes. The cow's milk has got casing. And we cannot digest this casing. Do you know the one thing that my patients tell me that, oh, we give up dairy, Dr. Terry. But we do eat cheese. You know why? It's the most difficult thing to give up cheese. Because what happens is when you make cheese, you take a lot of milk to make a small amount of cheese. That casing turns into casomorphine. Oh. And so, and so for cheese becomes addictive. Yeah. So even though you can give up milk, it is very difficult to give up your cheese on pizza and all that. Even if it's goat cheese? Any cheese. Any cheese. It's dairy. Well, now, that's sad. Think about it. You think about it. If you are interested in yogurts and all these other things, ice creams and all. You have every flavor in not dairy milk, castle milk. I saw recently chia milk. 
And then you all got ripple milk, which is a pea milk, P-E-A milk. Yeah, it's good and stuff. So you got all the ice creams and yogurts and everything like that. So yeah, so you're saying give up the cheese and then replace it. Right. Again, we have got the lactose in the dairy. We cannot, 80% of the world's population is lactose intolerance. But what we feel is as we age, oh, it is okay to burn, get distended. It is not okay to get burned and distended. If you give up milk, the only one thing I tell your listeners give up dairy for three weeks, but truly give it up. And you see the difference. Yeah. It is amazing. 100% agree with you. Tell us this, Dr. Kiel. So where you started in your health journey and where you are now, and you got your way into giving up dairy and meat, and you, you're now a vegan. What's your health like now? My, my health right now is... I don't want to say it is absolutely perfect. I do have my weaknesses. I do have skeletons in my closet too. Even though you're not asked me this question, but I do get this question asked a lot that Dr. Teher and Dr. Akhil, do you drink alcohol? And I say yes. I socially am an alcohol drinker. Socially. I'm doing it responsibly. Having said that, is alcohol helping you in your, as I think, helping you in any way? Your heart and good cholesterol going up? No. It was a belief in the past that it raised your good cholesterol and helped you in some ways. But no. Health-wise, alcohol does not help anybody. But if you are doing it responsibly and socially, and if you think you can go ahead I'm not the one to stop you, number one. Number two is that I have a certain bit of a routine in life, which I would like people to have once they're after the age of 50. Get a little routine so that you can, you can splurge a little bit when you go out with friends and all that. I'm not saying that. But otherwise, a routine. I start my day with a big, glass of lukewarm water with apple cider vinegar. I have that as my first thing. And then I have my cup of coffee. And then I start having my smoothie with whatever fruits and veggies that are there. I combine and then I make one for myself and one for my wife. Then I start going around and do my three miles or four miles of running or on the, if, I, if it's raining or something, the weather is not good, I will do it on my elliptical in the house or my treadmill in the house. And then after that, what people don't understand, that once you reach 50s, 60s, 70s, you're, you get stiff. Mm-hmm. Men, men over there and listening, please listen to this very carefully. Women are more flexible than men. Mm-hmm. So we are stiffness. So what we need to do is stretch. Yes. That's a way to stretch the yoga. It's true. And if you do a sun salutation, the yoga, yoga exercise that you do, sun salutation, 
it will really stretch all your muscles, your contraceptives, your deltoids, your hamstrings, your calf muscles. And I tell people as they get older and older, if you are in your 70s and 80s and you can't really start your exercise in bed, when you get that's your calf muscles, ankle rotations, toes, then sit up on the side of the bed and start raising your legs and do all that shoulder strikes, twist, twisting, twisting, all that is so important because we get very stiff. So once I finish my yoga, then another thing that has helped a lot of people during the COVID is a breathing exercise, the sky breathing. You know, when I listen to my patients, pediatric patients, oh, what beautiful sounds I hear in their chest. <laughs> but when I listen to my older, adult patients, huh. they, have, they have not, they have stopped breathing properly. They're not breathing deeply. It's not as deep. Completely. And they're breathing shallow breathing. Oh, yeah. Long breathing. Yeah. So if you sky breathe and take those huge sounds, which we do, which I do it. So your belly, into your belly. Into my belly. If you do this, it will even, it has helped those patients even with the COVID, when they were being intubated and all that, this breathing helps people, you know. It's true. And then there's the yoga, the, what is this? When you do yoga. And then in the evening, we start doing, my wife and we start doing meditation for 20 minutes. Now, I'm not very good. See, <laughs> I tell you, I'm not very good. My mind goes away one way, this, this, that. But she's great. So she'll, in a way, I look, I see, and I bring my much better now. I am not here I'm to only teach. There is a greater joy in learning than teaching. And I want to learn. I learn from my patients, my terminal patients. And when they give me a smile, my day is made. If they can go through this terminal illness with a smile, what am I complaining for? Right. Right. You and I were talking in the beginning about the medical system and you know, that food is, is our number one enemy right now. It's manufactured, it's mass produced. There's all kinds of, I mean, we could spend hours talking about that, but that the medical system, we, we handle acute things very, very well. We're experts at fixing things, putting things back together, transplants, all these amazing things. But we really are upside down, as I put it, in how we approach our health as a as a as a proactive root cause and prevention rather than getting us to the point where we're just popping pills and putting band-aids on things. And I was curious how you as a doctor, how what the biggest difference you've seen with yourself is. You see, you must remember what Maimonides said, that no disease that can be treated with diet should be treated by any other means. And that was a very important saying. Yeah. But as what we are doing is 
as we are treating the consequence of the disease after it has happened, what are we really doing? You take an overflowing sink, okay? Mm -hmm. And so water is all on the floor. And you take a mop and keep mopping, keep mopping, keep mopping. But all you have to do is turn the faucet off. Right. So if you turn the faucet off, what are you doing? You're treating the cause of that water. So if we treat the cause and prevent these diseases happening, we are one. And therefore, it is not only by this thing, I'm not very rigid that everybody should be what I'm doing or others are doing. No. My point is, look at the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. Yes, do share the six pillars with us. That six pillars if everybody follows, I guarantee you I will not see heart disease or strokes or things like this, cholesterol. So what are the six pillars? In my opinion, the most important pillar is your diet. What you put into your mouth, in your mouth. Remember one thing, that it has been proven that the whole food, plant-based diet, whole food, plant-based, no oil diet, is the only diet that can prevent and reverse heart disease, coronary artery disease. Now, so people will turn around and say, oh my God, you're seeing whole food, plant-based, no oil, that's not, that's impossible for us. Yes. But what I'm saying is, if you got coronary artery disease, there are two ways to go about it. I'm talking about angina. There's a difference between angina and heart attack. Heart attack, you to, your finger should go on 911, you should go to the hospital, get your stents, bypass surgery, what have you. Right. You got angina. Right. When you got blood, which I had, had I known then what I know today, I would not have had the surgery. You really think so? You really think yeah. if you had gone to the plant-based yeah. diet, started exercising, even if it wasn't running marathons and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, yes. yeah. you would have reversed it? Yes, but I would have to go on whole food, plant-based, no oil diet. No oil. People are doing it. Doing it. You can go for three weeks to Dr. Essenstein's classes in Cleveland. And they tell you everything, recipes and everything that they teach. Yes, I would have done it. Wow. But having said that, because think about one thing. Your arteries which are there, arteries and veins, the blood vessels in your body, are 50,000 miles running into your body. And each little artery, whether it is in your brain or whether it is in your heart or whether it is in your kidney, has an inner lining endothelium. This endothelium is the one which protects that artery, small or big or medium. And so that lets the blood flow smoothly, protects the wall, and sees that there is no plants being bit. Because okay. it's, it, it secretes nitric oxide. Now, foods that are rich in nitrates, which are plant-based, if these foods are taken, then your endothelium secretes a nitric oxide, and keeps the artery healthy. Mm. Now, once you start taking the unhealthy food, now there is no nitric oxide. So now when the cholesterol, the fibrin, and the calcium flow in, they get caught in that endothelium, and they start forming plaques, the blockages. And this takes years to form. 
yeah a decade to form so if you if you have a chance of really wanting to reverse your heart disease then you have to do the old food plant based low and diet but say you have got stents say you have got bypass surgery it will still help you if you do old food plant based diet because now you into think you will start getting healthier and healthier and healthier so are you saying that we can get rid of the plaque? Are you saying we can actually, our bodies, if we give it what it needs? I wish I, wish I could have shared with you the video that we have. That's a gentleman who was about in his 60s, Essenstein's patient, who had been in the auditorium and his slide was projected and he could not even walk from one end of the room to the other end because he had got multiple blockages. Oh then God. he went to the Esselstein's thing and he became a total whole food plant based, no oil diet. And then they showed him on the stage. He came around with a tennis racket and he was laughing and beaming and running around. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I thought black, once the black was stuck there, I thought you really can't, you really can't do much. No. You're saying get it out. What we are doing is that heart surgeries, bypass surgeries, and stents, 50% of the time done in the U.S. are unnecessary. Are unnecessary. And in the world, they may be 75, 80%. In India, it must be even more. Only because we could not get, we would not be there if we would just eat the right way. Is that what you're saying? Okay. So that's my first pillar. Okay. The second pillar is exercise. Now remember, Wendy, when I say exercise, if you're going to walk in the park, it's good for your well-being in the sense your endorphins and you feel good. But if you're doing it for your cardio, for the chronic diseases, then you should be doing at least 70% of your maximum heart rate. And what is the maximum heart rate is 220 minus your age. And you should do 70% of that. So let me take myself as an example. I'm almost 75 now. Okay. So if I were to do 220 minus 75, would be about 135, 140, somewhere around there. If you take 70% of it, would be about 106, 105, 107. If I don't reach that 105, 106, when I'm exercising my age, then I'm not doing it for cardio. Oh, so, it does matter. does matter. Number two, when you exercise and you become persistent and consistent, then your heart rate goes low. That means now, when your heart rate is low, your heart has to work less for the oxygen to be brought into the cells from the blood. And that's another advantage. And exercise, if done properly, increases your good cholesterol, which is a garbage drug that takes away the bad cholesterol, the LDL. Yeah. So yeah. this is as far as exercise is concerned. And please, I had some middle-aged patients, husband and wife, I told them to exercise 30 minutes a day for five days in a week. And I said, come back and see me in four months. They came back and said, Doc, you, that was the worst advice you gave us. And he said, what happened? And he says, well, we went out for a nap, but all we did was fight. 
So my friend walked and he came back fighting, said that no good to us. So I always tell people, when you exercise, do it under circumstances which are nice and peaceful. <laughs> and pleasant, yeah. And pleasant. <laughs> funny. So What's the third? third one is sleep. Oh, yeah. Sleep is important. I'm going to have a sleep expert on soon. Yeah. So, but you see, I don't believe it in seven to nine hours of sleep. This is my belief. Because I have seen sometimes I've only slept for five hours while I'm fresh to conquer the world. And sometimes I've slept for nine hours, eight hours, and I feel miserable. Hmm. So, to me, it is not the amount of time you sleep. It is more of how much of restorative sleep are you getting. Quality, the quality. Yes, and the restorative because we have what is called the non-rapid eye movement sleep and a rapid eye movement, REM sleep and a non-REM sleep. It is a non-REM sleep that keeps you in calmness. The rapid eye movement when you get your dreams and you're active and you're moving. So, all these are important things in sleep, which you must be able to say, when you get up in the morning, am I feeling fresh? So that is your number three. Number four is stress. If you can, there are people that I know who have an inborn, this thing of being just stress-free. They're calm, they usually, but not me. So people like me, in your in the listeners that you have, then they have to use crutches. Or what are the crutches? It can be either religion, can be spirituality, can be meditation, can be yoga, can be breathing exercises. This helps. Exercise helps. Yeah. Correct. And, you, and once you're stressed, you know how to handle the stress, then you're a winner. Number five, social support. If we are getting away from the connectedness of the social being, we are afraid because of so many things happening in the world today for the touch, for a hug. And the social distinct context is that your support, the more you give social support, the better it is in terms when you receive support. So that social connectedness should be there available. See, there, India is fantastic because you have got families that live in this under the same roof, extended families. So everybody is writing, everybody is just saying and looking after that. So you're socially supported. Yeah. But America becomes lonely. Yeah. You come from somewhere else, especially. Yeah. And that is why my parents, or we are used to the American life, my wife and I. But my dad, he was very lonely when he came here. English. So the idea is that to him, the connectedness was not there. It finally avoided Substance abuse. If you're smoking, give it up. If you're under drugs, whether it is medical, 
science drugs, force feed drugs. Give it up. And I think is a thing that I say responsibly, but if you can give it up, I never advocate up. So that is only the thing that final the abuse, abusive substance. If you follow these six, I challenge you, somebody follows the six, three doctors would have to close their own practices. Because, I mean, and thinking about it, of course, if you're an acute appendicitis, you've got to come and see a doctor, and I've got to treat the consequence of the appendicitis. If you're having a heart attack, I've got to treat it. If you are having, say, pneumonia, I have to put you on antibiotics and things. So I'm not saying that there's no place for consequences. But right, right. But so many patients come with what? Blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol. This amendment. Yeah. And let Imagine the main thing, I forgot to tell you one thing, that the milk that you get, I'm not talking about you have a cow in the backyard and you're giving it grass only, even then, but I'm talking about the milk on the shelves in the supermarkets. They're full of estrogens because your cows have to be given estrogens to produce milk. So they're injected with estrogen. These estrogens have now been proven to cause prostate cancers in men. Prostate cancer in men? Mm. I had no idea. Yeah. That makes sense. In, in the milk. So think about it. Yeah. If we can do all these wonderful things. And then that's that's my legacy, Wendy. I'm not monetizing this at all. Even no, when or charity. Why don't you tell us about that? Tell us about that a little bit, Dr. Keel. You wrote the book. It was cathartic for you, I would imagine, but also you had a purpose behind it. What? So if somebody buys the book, what happens? See, if somebody buys the book, there are two choices. If you want a physical copy, then you have to buy the book. I think it is about $11 or $16, depending on what time you are buying it in Amazon. But if you don't want to do that, then... Download a book for a dollar ninety-nine. If you don't want to do that, go and borrow the book from somebody. If you don't want to, if, if nobody is giving lending you the book, go and steal it. But, <laughs> but read it. So read it. Because all the royalties of this book are going to my wife's charity. That is Peter and the Cruelty to Animals and St. Jude. For children. So why would you not be able to a dollar ninety-nine and lead a really heartful, really a healthy lifestyle, benefit from that, and, and still your money is still going to go for charity. I love uh, there is something I want you to talk about before we we leave each other. You have persistence, you have persistence, determination, and courage. Do you remember what you said about those persistence, what you, what you think that really is? You know, it is not giving up. You see, a lot of people, we, we tend to give up very easily in everything in life, whether it is marriage or whatever it is. Oh, we can't, we can't work. Okay, friendship. Or you, you said this. Okay, forget it. I don't want to see you. You know, right. Work on the thing. Let's work. 
let's work to make it better. You know, in an argument, what we try to do is always bring our point forward. We no, we try to win. We want to win. You want to win or lose? We, we are never going to be losers, but we never put ourselves into the other person's shoes. True. So if we put ourselves in the other person's shoes in that argument, on that subject, then we are less harsh. And the same thing if the other person does, then you can come on a common ground. But if you are so uh, up here wanting your point and wanting to assert yourself, it's that. But persistence means, hey, doing certain things which you've been doing, don't give up. Never give up. And determination? What do you think about it? Determination is also bad missing persistence because when you are determined to do this, your your things should be you know I, I met a I don't know if you know the game of cricket, but if you if you are determined to do something, your your it should be laser concentrated on that stuff. So we used to play cricket like you play baseball in America when we were young in India, we played cricket which you may have never heard of. But it's a bat in a ball game. And the thing, one of the classic cricketers of our time, like your Michael Jordan as basketball, he told me once that when I'm holding that bat, I don't care for the spectators. I don't care for who's bowling to me, the fielders, me. And the best. So the concentration is extremely important in what you do. Which I'm learning. I'm not very the same, but I'm very determined. Yeah, I'm not saying that this will give me longevity in my life, but whatever years I've spent, they spent quality. So I tell people I'm not 75, I'm only 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, I've got a long way to go. Got a long way to go. At 14 year old, people do make mistakes. So I will make mistakes. And then courage? Courage is something, you know, fear. Fear is something, if you do the thing that you fear most, the depth of fear is certain. See, when I did my jumping from the aircraft, I did it in around here in uh, Atlanta. With my son. Oh my God. I was so fearful. But when I did my bungee jumping. In New Zealand. From one of those. The one who bridge. To the first bridge. They started bungee jumping. Yeah. Oh man. It was such a beautiful feeling. I felt like a bird. So to me. Fear is a sin. Another thing that I would like to tell people is my favorite thing is the credo of my book. Adventure may hurt you, but monotony will kill you. It will. Yeah. Hear about this. Adventure does not mean only physical things. Adventure means living outside your comfort zone. That means that I had adventure in learning how to cook. I had adventure in learning how to garden. People can have adventure in learning how to play manja. 
or bridge. So live outside your comfort zone. We get very stalemate when we live in our own thing every day. So that is something that you should strive to live outside your comfort zone. Don't get worried what people will think. So true. And we really shouldn't at this point. And and, and, and know that, that when you try, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Nothing. Except that it didn't work. Try something else. Correct. Absolutely. And another thing I would always like to say, because what happened to me, don't let your jobs, you know, young people, even at 50s, rob you of the opportunity of leading a life of purpose, passion, and positivity. We get so involved in our jobs that we forget this other part. So to me, it is an extremely important thing. And, you know, I got a second chance at life because 50% die with the first heart attack. Yeah. And I want to spread my heart healthy messages far and wide as I can. And I must mention that I'm truly grateful for my rock. That's my wife. And I have a lovely grandson who is 10 years old. And I, I tell people this, that when I did my, uh, I did my bike ride, and you, are, you would appreciate this because you were a bike rider yourself. I, I did 900 miles to do the 100 mile bike ride in practice. And when I came home after three days, after doing the 100 mile bike ride, my grandson came to bike in my area in Sandy Springs, in my, where my home is. And he was about to fall. And I went to save it. I fell flat on my face. Oh, no. <laughs> and my teeth went in. I, oh, no. I was pain. There were lacerations. And so I tell people, 900 miles of training, 100 miles of doing uh, <laughs> that, but rest of few feet. And my dentist said to realign my teeth and all that. There is still a discomfort. But now I'm not going to say that this discomfort is going to stop me. No. I'm living with it. Dr. Angel, I did the RAM race. We did the whole thing, three wow. oh, whatever, three thousand and something miles. Our team, we're done. We're getting ready to go to the. We're getting ready to go to the <laughs> finish line. And I, we're using a bathroom because that's the pleasant when you use a bathroom. I know about the tent thing and going in the wood. Yeah, all that. Use the bathroom. I opened the the door, the stall door, and slammed it into my eye. I still have a scar, like it. We ride all that. Anything could have gone wrong. And I hurt myself with a bathroom door. So I get what you're saying. You didn't get hurt on the bike. You didn't get hurt on the ride. You got hurt in your driveway. Like, it's the same thing. Dude. It just makes you laugh. You just got to laugh. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and my, my grandson always says, you know, that because we bad on and this is Baba saved me that day. So Baba, did you actually save him? Did you stop him from falling? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then I thought, like, it's okay. But that is what it is, you know. And again, you get time and energy. And, and you know, people should learn from experience uh, and ability to learn from experience their failures and setbacks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people always should be positive 
but should not hesitate when asking for help. People always do this. Ask for help. I ask for help all the time. And I find that you, you can feel it if someone needs help. Don't walk by. Of course. Ask. Because you are driven to ask, ask. Of course, and life to be a journey of ups and downs with different emotions like happiness, sadness, anger, negative thoughts, etc. And success can make you happy, but can often breed arrogance. This gives you a false sense of being powerful, but can also lead to ignorance. Yeah. So, well on the other hand, failure can make you sad and cause depression. Handle all your emotions, taking the help of spirituality, religion, meditation, yoga, medications, exercise, or help. And let's all live this life to the fullest possible way we can. With purpose, intent, and the higher self in mind. Absolutely. With a higher sense in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. There is somebody who is there who's got his hand off or parents. And we should be grateful for that. And I respect, I don't mean to say I'm spiritual, but I respect everybody's religion, no matter that, what. I agree. Dr. Akil, what motivates you every day? Do you have a, do you have a mantra that you say every day? Is there a saying up in your house that you read every day? Is there something you can leave us with? I don't really know. Today, <laughs> I believe is that I have a routine. And that, you know, and then whenever I am, for example, in my running days and all that, my mantras would always be my children's name, Nick, Nick, Nush, Nush, with my daughter's name is Anushka, and my son, who is a physician here in Atlanta, too. With the Northside Hospital, make make so that would be my mantra. But right now it is the breathing exercises in the morning and the meditation in the evening. I'm not very regular with my meditation, which I should be. These are the things that keeps my life in the not too slowly, not too fastly, but right where it should be in balance, right? I it's balance. I am trying to keep that balance in my life. Yes, I have problems. Yes, I do this. But it becomes minuscule if you don't let it get you. So that is my advice to everybody. That just try it out. If you, all I'm asking you, I'm not asking you to be a vegan or a vegetarian or anything. But you have to learn to be a pescatarian. You have to cut back meat, eggs, dairy, salt, sugar, and oil. And oil. Okay. So do that. It's great. And that's the thing. And my, my only thing is that somebody asked me, yeah, yeah dear, what, what are my new things now? I haven't gone. I don't, I don't have anything ready for me, but like you said in the initial the conversation, if somebody would tell me tomorrow that let's do this, I may think about it now and say, yes, let's do it. So I don't have a 
formula that I'm going to do on that. And that's what it is. And I would like to thank my patients. They've made me a better doctor. Oh, that's so nice. You're just open to whatever comes your way. And that's the way we're supposed to live because we can't control what happened. We can't control what's coming. We can only control what's in the moment. And you have to be fluid and open to whatever's coming to you in that moment. And then to end that, it, live in the moment. Live in the moment. Dr. Hill. But some great person told me recently, a yogi. He says, look, when you're washing dishes, are you concentrating on the dishes? No. You're thinking of 101 things. Oh, I have to get my child from school. Oh, I've not done this. Oh, those books have to be kept. Oh, that thing has to be done. And you're washing your dishes. So point is that live in the moment. Wash the dishes. Wash the dishes so that your mind is peaceful. Because you don't have to concentrate too much to do the dishes. But if you start thinking of 101 things, that means your mind is running at a terrific speed. But your body is only washing the dishes. Yeah, create stress. Ah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Rakil. It's been such a pleasure. I cannot recommend this book enough. Open Heart by Dr. Akil Teher, MD. Go get you a copy and know that all the money is going to really good charities. And Dr. Akil, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.